Seven minutes it is after 8pm. It is our Shop Stewards Corner and we bring this to you every Monday taking a look at all of the happenings on the shop floor and in the lives of working people. And today, uh, a slightly different twist here and uh, many people might be asking themselves, well, this is a Shop Stewards Corner. Why are you talking to employers? Well, the International Organization of Employers has called for the mobilization of resources for a global COVID-19 fund uh, that uh, uh, saying that it's committed uh, to saving lives, protecting the global economy and ensuring that businesses are able to survive the pandemic. And um, I'm joined now on the line by the uh, International Organization of Employers, Vice President to the International Labour Organization and uh, Vice Chairman of the ILO, Mtunzi um, Mtwabam. Good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Mshagazi, and thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. Maybe for some people who might not be familiar with, I guess, uh, you know, the functioning of the ILO as one of the uh, 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 constituent parts of the UN system. Talk to us briefly about the IOE, where you fit into the ILO, and uh, I guess, uh, more importantly, what what becomes your own mandate uh, in line uh, with uh, uh, this call that you've made here. Well, I guess I think uh, maybe let's start with the shop steward corner and the explanation <laughs> you just gave. Um, perhaps uh, it would help if people were to know that I'm probably one of the very few employers in the world, certainly one of the few capitalists in the world, mm. who write an article for Cosatu every quarter in their magazine called The Shop Steward. Okay, okay. So maybe you're not so offline yourself. Okay. You're just aligning with the forces that are out there. <laughs> so in terms, of, in terms of what we do, the International Organization of Employers is the largest private sector business organization in the world. Um, based in Geneva, uh, we have uh, 159 business organizations in, uh, in 150 countries, uh, including our very own BUSA, Business Unity South Africa, mm. um, the largest um, American employer body called the USCIB, uh, the BDA, the German employers. And, and really through that, we represent over 50 million companies throughout the world. But the IOE, um, and hence the strange title that I'm the IOE Vice President to the ILO, mm. is that within the IOE as a business organization, umbrella body, I'm Vice President, but my role is actually in the International Labor Organization where I'm the leader of the employers for, for the whole world. The ILO, um, for those who have, don't follow what the ILO does, I would refer to as the the mother or the father of the world of work, depending mm. on how you want to look at it. Um, we have 187 um, countries, member states, and uh, it is the only multilateral body within the UN common system that uh, operates on what we call social dialogue and tripartism, in that the social partners, who are the trade unions, are represented, and the social, other social partner, the employers, are also represented in a, in a three-way communication and conversation. Um, and everything is decided in threes. So similarly to my being the vice chair of the ILO uh, representing employers, we have a vice chair representing trade unions mm. or workers. And we have a chair representing governments. That's, yeah. I hope that explains it. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Quite interesting, of course, that uh, you make this call at this time because I think just over a week ago we saw a global report coming out of the International Labour Organization suggesting that uh, uh, this pandemic has the capability to wipe out 25 million jobs uh, from the labour market. Let's maybe place that into perspective. Uh, you know, 25 million 
uh, I guess uh, to some might sound like a lot and to some might not sound like a lot. Place that into perspective for us and I guess uh, because one would think that if that's the immensity of the challenge, it then frames also uh, the kind of solution that you guys are calling for here. Well, again, I think uh, it would help uh, perhaps for, for purposes of for focus to say that uh, if the 25 million is to be taken as a, as a possible true projected figure, um, then we should be saying that the number of people that would be affected or that would uh, uh, lose their lives from this pandemic would be just less than half of South Africa's entire population. So I think perhaps that that helps mm. focus the brain and the mm. mind. Um, the, 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 the one thing, Ayabonga, I can tell you is that I was there when the financial crisis started in 2008. I was already in the ILO. In fact, I was running a business um, that was based in San Francisco in, in the U.S. Um, and could see um, how terrible the crisis was. Um, this, uh, from all kinds of speculations and all kinds of calculation and analysis from everybody throughout the world, seems to be the largest we've ever seen. Um, and there is serious international alarm over the potential uh, devastating health and economic consequences, uh, particularly in the emerging world, in Southeast Asia and Africa, you know, because obviously as emerging developing countries, um, they would not have reserves um, that they can use for, 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 for disasters of this kind. So this definitely has the potential of, a, of an unprecedented humanitarian disaster, um, and, and, it, and it's quite real. I mean, when we um, were deliberating on, on, on this uh, collaborative approach that we've called for, um, having had quite a number of back-to-back video conferences as, as the different parties within the ILO, mm. you may be aware that for the first time ever, uh, from the 11th of March to the 27th of March, we had to cancel the governing body meetings of yes. the ILO, which mm. normally spend two weeks. It's never happened. Um, then at some stage, we were going to look at doing the International Labour Conference, which was on the 25th of May, and then trying to play catch-up. And then last week, we decided to cancel that too because we could see that when we look at the projections, um, you know, some countries started very early to have lockdowns. Some, unfortunately, did not take it as seriously. as I must say that South Africa uh, was one of the best in terms of response um, to, to the crisis. I was even joking to some friends of mine today. I said, you know, I think South Africa needs a crisis all the time, because if this is how we respond to a crisis, we would be an amazing country. Uh, if we're always in crisis, I guess, because, you know, although that is a contradiction in terms. Um, and, and, and so you now are looking at a situation where some countries are starting to run out of cash, um, you know, in the next few days, literally. So we then thought, well, given the, the magnitude of the possibilities of this crisis, mm. um, how it affects jobs, um, you can imagine the kind of jobs that are going to be lost um, you know, I'm not even talking now about the creation of jobs because that's going to be a luxury from what we are looking at. It's just the jobs that are going to be lost because the more you have companies, especially the small to medium companies, uh, looking like they might not make it um, from what is a 21-day lockdown in South Africa, you know, some people that we were in a board meeting with today, our colleagues from Australia, 
are telling us that they are working on projections of six-month lockdown, mm-hmm. which means they can only come out of the lockdown in September. Um, that already, I mean, if you are six months um, out of the game and there's no economic activity, um, I don't think it needs rocket science to see that we are working on something quite catastrophic in terms of possibilities. And then, you know, with the catastrophe that you've painted here, uh, you're calling alongside many other agencies within the United Nations system for a global stimulus package. Um, And I'm quite interested, I mean, uh, with the picture you've just painted here, what then becomes the scale, size, uh, and even, I guess, the potential, uh, you know, impact uh, or resources that need to be marshaled for that kind of uh, global stimulus effort? I mean, uh, the UN was also saying that we can clearly undo now Uh, In a few weeks, uh, all of the progress we've made towards the SDGs, uh, just on the basis of the impact that this pandemic is going to have. How do we respond uh, and how does the global effort take shape? Well, you know, it's 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 an ever-changing, quicksand kind of situation. Um, um, I I can say to you that if, if we look at the numbers that have already been quoted, I mean, I'm going to work just on a number that I read two days ago in, um, I think, in a newspaper called Africa Update. Um, and they were saying that um, um, Rwanda, for example, mm. has already applied for $109 million US dollars to the IMF. Um, and Senegal has applied for $221 million US dollars. I mean, this is two countries, right? Sure. And that's already over $300 million US dollars. So it's tricky to say, you know, what kind of amounts are going to be helpful here, but we need to start somewhere. And we just felt that there needs to be agency in the collaborative um, efforts to try and come up with something. You know, the IMF has told us, um, as early, I think, as last night, this morning, that it has $1 trillion to contribute to assisting countries in emerging economies, Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, now, but what we are hoping is going to happen is that once the IMF says we've got $1 trillion, there's going to be many others, hopefully, that are going to say, okay, if you've got $1 trillion, IMF, maybe we can, match that. Mm. We can give you 10% from mm. our side. We may not have as deep a pocket as you've got, but maybe I'll give you 10% from my corner. Somebody will give 5% from their corner. But the global business community, um, through their representative associations, um, desperately want to support emerging economies as well. And these are the people we, 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 we represent. Um, we know firsthand that the, first, the, the economic devastation uh, this pandemic is causing across the globe is, is, is huge. So it's through us, the International Organization of Employers, that the business of community felt it needs to raise the alarm and raise it early. You know, and, and, and as I've said, you know, our members include the world's largest mm. and, and most important business organizations, but also, you know, some of the smallest players in the world as well. And, and for us, one of the biggest problems is not necessarily the largest, it's actually the smallest. Because you do know, Ayabonga, that uh, unfortunately, whenever these kind of things manifest, the people who suffer the most are the ones who are poor people, mm. the ones who are on the bottom of, 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 of the chain um, all the time. Um, those who are hopefuls, who are looking for jobs, the self-employed as well, um, will be devastated. They've got no backup plan. There's, there's nothing they can come up with. 
Um, so, so we are really pleading to the international community, um, our own people here in South Africa, to say, guys, let's find a way to act. Let's rather be seen to have been alarmist and let's rather be seen to have overreacted than the opposite. Um, because, because if we have not applied ourselves properly and we don't implement the things that we see and that we are told speculatively are going to happen and we don't start coming up with mitigating factors, um, it could be uh, something that will take many, many, many years for us to respond and, 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 and resuscitate our economies uh, so that we can have, you know, as we've said in our statement, mm. um, the SDGs, I mean, 2030 is not far away. 2030 is in 10 years' time, right? Um, already we were not doing so well with the SDGs. I mean, I can yeah. tell you that Africa, Latin America, um, is far from doing great with the SDGs mm. and enormous circumstances because there hasn't been enough resources coming through the pipeline to deal with that. Now, this just throws any possible kind of uh, constructive number crunching that you mm. can come up with. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's the view that we've got. Um, I think it's all hands on deck, sure. and for and for us as a as part of the UN Common Family, mm. we just feel that whilst the ILO, um, as an organisation that is looking after the world of work, um, as an organisation that has to ensure that it leads not only by way of thought leadership but by way of ensuring mm. that social dialogue comes up with solutions that this is one time where we need to hold hands with our sister organizations like the World Health Organization, um, the UN Global Compact, um, and everybody else to make sure that we, 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 we come up with a, a solution that mm. um, is going to, to, to deal with the sustainability sure. issues we are facing here. What, what kind of reciprocities here, uh, Twinsy, are possible? And, and the reason why I ask this is because you've suggested that a fund like this would... Uh, uh, be required really to prevent a humanitarian crisis. It has to reach the self-employed, has to reach the freelancers, the casual, the informal workers. Um, and, and I sit here asking myself, you know, uh, uh, should there be conditions to some of this? Uh, if, it, if it plays itself out at a national level, uh, we already had an economy that uh, had multiple Section 198 uh, retrenchment and layoff processes already within the system. And one gets a sense that if some money is extended uh, to uh, some of these major corporations that would have undertaken some of those layoffs, uh, that uh, there should surely be some social expectation uh, that uh, there will be some, uh, I guess, suspension of those layoffs or even uh, a moratorium on some of those. What's the view of the International Organization of Employers on that particular issue and um, I guess the kind of new forms of solidarity and reciprocity that can potentially emerge from this crisis? You know, um, Ayabonga, the, the, the one thing about, you know, when you work with 159 business organizations as your members, mm. you quickly get to appreciate the diversity and the difference of the world, right? So, so one of the things we talked about in our board meeting today, that our members, the board members were pushing for our operational people in the IOE to do, is to collate as quickly as possible all the different responses from our members throughout the world, right? Like how mm. South Africa is dealing with it yes. in terms of our UIF-based uh, responses, the Department of Employment and Labor. I know the, 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 the minister is on, on, I think, on Morning Live tomorrow morning, Minister Tulas Mercy, to talk about 
how we are responding as a country, um, you know, the newly named, renamed Employment uh, and Labor Department mm. and so on, you know, how the U.S. is responding, how people in Bangladesh are responding, how people in Pakistan are responding and so on and so on. Now, there's different varying mechanisms and all of them one cannot impose one of them have got to be suited to the kind of environment you have. Mm. Um, because even though we are working with a crisis and though we are working with, uh, one would expect some kind of flexibility in the system, sure. I think the one thing we mustn't do is to lose sight of what we are made of in the ILO social dialogue and tripartism. Mm. Um, I would hate to see a situation where we dispense with our culture and the way we do things and have other people make unilateral decisions, right? Because... The, the scary thing about unilateralism is that, you know, it's normally adopted by the all-powerful who don't want other people to speak. Mm. Now, now in this particular environment, to respond to your question, um, there obviously has to be certain relaxations by everybody. There has to be compromises by everybody, because if I'm going to give you my funds um, to help you and to help myself and to mm. help everybody... I expect you to demonstrate some flexibility that recognizes that were it not for my son, mm. certainly you would not be able to be afloat. And therefore, if being afloat and being sustainable means you've got to, you know, minimize or stop the layoffs, then that's what you must do. But it must be the solution that we are all looking for. But I think everybody must come to the party because I remember during the financial crisis, um, Germany, for example, had an amazing response. You know, they were quick, the trade unions mm. and, and, and businesses, to agree on short tenism, for example, that everybody's going to work, you know, short hours. Yes. Uh, some people will work, you know, a, a six-hour shift instead of an eight-hour shift. You know, people were meeting, meeting each other halfway. Uh, same as, for example, I can tell you the metal industry in Germany a few days ago had an agreement that is just COVID-based, a COVID-related emergency crisis response that is a little bit out of the ordinary to how you would approach issues of wage increases and so on and so on, right? So, so all of us have to make sacrifices. I can't say what those sacrifices should be because different companies also have different sizes and different problems. We all have to treat each case on its own merits. But mm -hmm. ultimately... It's got to be based on the issues of dignity, the issues of ensuring that we do maintain as many people in jobs as possible. Otherwise, then it's a waste. If we want to put money in the system sure. and you are going to fire 50 people and, or, or lay off 50 people, and then we give you the money to help you meet you halfway, and it's still 50 people, it's, it's not 25 or 20 and something's wrong with the system, right? Mm. So, so, so we've got to find some kind of a balance with how we respond to this. Okay. Tunzim Tuaba, thank you very much for your time. And uh, uh, I guess I wish you all the best for this call. And maybe a last question is, now that you've made the call, what then become the next steps here? I mean, we haven't heard of a grand announcement from the uh, uh, United Nations saying, uh, you know, this is how much we will be able to marshal with all of the different agencies that we have uh, under our umbrella. And uh, maybe, I guess, uh, uh, this call uh, will contribute to that bigger package. Well, the next uh, move really is to push hard and not uh, uh, in any way um, ease the, the pressure 
on all our colleagues and partners. Mm. As I'm telling you, you know, when we made the call um, early this morning, we did not know for sure that the IMF is now going to make a trillion dollars available. Mm. So we are now told that the IMF has got a trillion dollars, and this is during the course of the day. Okay. So over the next day or two, we are hopeful that somebody else is going to come to the party. Because you must remember that as much as we can talk, talk about stimulus packages at a national level, mm. uh, it may be difficult for some countries to have a stimulus package because they've got nothing to stimulate with, <laughs> Right. So the only way you are going to be able to stimulate is that the UN and all its collaborative, uh, collective partners are going to come up with something to assist mm. in ensuring that everybody is treated equally in this recalibrated world. Because that's another thing mm. we must look at. This is a world that is being recalibrated. It's also very humbling. It's teaching us different things yeah. that we need to respect each other and do things because we all get affected the mm. same way by the virus, right? I certainly hope that, uh, I mean, that one trillion there from the IMF doesn't come with the kind of prohibitive uh, conditionalities that we've seen in the past. Uh, uh, yeah, Temba uh, got a yeah. very hard to try and ease these uh, conditions and have pragmatism sure. being the order of the day. Tunzim Dwaba, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ayabong. Appreciate it. That there was Tunzim Dwaba, uh, International Organization of Employers Vice President to the International Labour Organization and Vice Chair at the ILO, speaking to us this evening about the call that they made to mobilize resources for a global COVID-19 fund and also telling us there uh, that it seems the IMF has got a trillion on offer. And as I said, I certainly hope that uh, that doesn't come with the kind of straitjacket uh, that many African countries have become accustomed to.